0: Piano music around here. That's why we have three pianos up here right now. And one of those isn't even ours. That belongs to my aunt Gloria right there. Uh, she's been pretty gracious uh, to <laughs> well, let us use it a little while longer uh, while we have uh, uh, three piano players. Uh, and we have a we have a little bit of a of a lead on a a really nice, really nice mint condition uh, baby grand piano. And. Uh, the guy who knows about piano said it would, it would be great, a great fit for our auditorium here. Uh, so if you, if you think of that, pray for that. Pray for that, that we'd get that, uh, uh, if the Lord willing, we'd get that piano. Uh, and uh, just another tool, right, to glorify the Lord with. And we have piano players that are up and coming right now, uh, some teenagers that are, that are playing the piano even younger. And so it's great for them to have, to be able to play along with others that are a little more advanced. And, uh, you know, I mean, if they hit a uh, wrong note here or whatever, I mean, it's, you know, they'll be absorbed by, by the others. Or they might cover for some of the more experienced ones if they get a little, uh, they get a little sloppy, right? Um, so uh, there's, there's, there's just opportunities along the way that the Lord gives us and provides a, a for us. So All right, if you go to your Bibles, please, uh, go to your Bibles. You go to the book of Revelation. And let's go to Revelation chapter 7, let's go to Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7. The title of the message this morning is, Jesus, not merely a social program, Jesus, not merely a social program. Our theme this year is uh, looking unto Jesus, and he is the author and the finisher of our faith, right? And so what is our faith? What is that all about? Uh, uh, what was Jesus' mission while, while he was here? Um, and when we look at Jesus, are we really seeing the Jesus of the Bible? Are we seeing the Jesus of the Bible? That's the Jesus that, that, we, want, that we want to see. We want to see um, how he was revealed there and what his purpose uh, really was. And I had a... Uh, uh, do I have that on, Brother Harry? Yeah, okay. I had a... Uh, a fellow uh, Bible college graduate, writes me around uh, Easter one time, and he made this statement. The resurrection is not something to be argued over. The resurrection is not essential because the important thing is to live and love like Jesus did in order to affect and change our culture. Now, let's think about that for just a moment. A quick drink. The most important thing is to live and love like Jesus did in order to affect and change our culture. Is that true? That sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds great. But the devil always seeks to bring us back to humanistic thinking. To take the glory away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And to keep us from a a truly eternal perspective. And so he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind if he can just get us to, to think, you know, in terms of, I just want to follow Jesus so I can be a better person. So that I can just, you know, say that I felt good about what I did in my neighborhood. If he can just keep it at that, well, he'll live with that. What good is it if we better our culture for a bit if we don't address the real need of all mankind? What you end up with is simply humanism in the cloak of Christianity. Now, Jesus did impact his culture. And he has impacted culture since then more than anyone. More than everyone else combined. Where Christians are, there is salt and light when they're following Jesus. And that does affect the culture. But that's not our main goal. Our main goal isn't just to make our neighborhoods better. Our main goal isn't just to to make our society a place that's more equal and just. Even though God Jesus, when He reigns, He will do so in perfect equity, in perfect justice. And, and Jesus is just. And so as Christians, yes, we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be good testimonies, be good citizens, as it were. But as citizens, we're always ambassadors. And ambassadors don't just go to another land just to make that place better. Ambassadors go there to speak of another land. Ambassadors go representing something bigger than themselves. And there's no greater cause for an ambassador. There's no greater role of any ambassador than to be an ambassador of heaven, to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was pressured to conform with the narrative of his day. Part of the narrative of his day was if you were a true Jew, you will be for the bettering of your people by getting out from under the social injustice and oppression of, of Rome for the betterment of our society right now. And so the pressure upon Jesus was use your popularity. Use your power, use your influence right now. To do what we want you to do right now. And, and certainly, if we look at it, Jesus could have done a lot more from the human perspective. He could have done a lot more right then to change society. If that was his his, his main goal. Couldn't he have? He could have done a lot more right there with his power and his influence. But what purpose would it have served in the big picture, ultimately? That's what he had his, his, his mind on. There were some people called the Zealots at Jesus' time. And the Zealots were a movement which sought to incite the people of Judea province to rebel against the Roman Empire and to expel it from the Holy Land by force. Another group related to the Zealots were called uh, the Sicarii. Who raided Jewish habitations and killed Jews they considered to be apostate and collaborators. In other words, Jews who didn't show that they were totally on board for the narrative of that day. These social justice people of that day that were fighting for social justice for the Jews. They would actually go and they would harm their own people in the name of justice. You see, my friends, there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible tells us that, and it's true. Because the heart of mankind just leads them to the same thing over and over and over again. According to the playbook of Satan, to undermine, to undermine the glorious truth and the eternal truth of the gospel. That's what it's ultimately all about. And so, the Saqqari, they would... uh, urged Jews to fight Romans and other Jews for the cause. Josephus, the great historian, paints a very bleak picture of their activities as they instituted what he characterized as a a reign of terror, a murderous reign of terror prior to the Jewish temple destruction. According to Josephus, the zealots followed John of uh, Geshala, who had fought the Romans in Galilee, escaped, came to Jerusalem, and then inspired the locals to a fanatical position that led to the temple's destruction. They did this in the name of social justice and freedom from oppression. And so Jesus was was surrounded by social revolutionaries. He even had one called Simon the Zealot as one of his disciples. And the most popular interpretation of that is that he was from this faction called the Zealots, initially. And even up to the time when Jesus ultimately went and fulfilled his mission here on earth, there was a general misunderstanding even amongst his disciples as to what it was he was going to accomplish there. And they had, generally speaking, a very earthly perspective about ultimately what he was going to do. But Jesus was thinking on a much grander scale. (laughs) He was thinking on a much grander scale because all the humanistic efforts combined of mankind throughout the ages are just a flash in the pan compared to the glorious work of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he knew... The so-called social justice and equality on a fallen earth was an elusive and fleeting thing. And so he worked instead to redeem the world for eternity. For eternity. You see, we're thinking if we can just get everything right now on earth, the way that we want it, then we can say we built this. We accomplished this. We made heaven on earth. It is. It's never going to happen if I don't take care of the true need of mankind, which is a sin problem, and if I don't redeem them for something greater and something eternal. And here, Revelation chapter seven, in verse nine, pick up in verse nine, Revelation seven verse nine. John sees a glorious scene here that represents what we're talking about. And he's transported through time and space to this, to this time when we see the, the fruit of what Jesus had in mind. Much greater than just a certain time and place in history. That would say, you know, this is great what we've been able to accomplish here. And again, if we have the, the, the love of Jesus Christ, we will influence our culture. We will seek to treat everybody properly. We will love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We will represent the acceptance that Jesus offered to everybody he came in contact with. Even to those who represented the racial divide of that day. For example, the Samaritans, who were hated by the Jews. And there were other dynamics going on there as well that Jesus just did. He ignored all that. And he just saw everybody as a, as a human being that could understand eternal truth. And have a capacity to have a relationship with God. And so in Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, and after this I beheld and lo, what does it say, a great multitude. A great multitude. And, and, and we've seen some, some large multitudes gathered for different causes today. But here is, is a multitude that I think is going to eclipse all of those, which no man could number. Now sometimes, you know, man seems to have a hard time counting, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been at uh, some gatherings before that you know I'm pretty sure there was like a thousand people there and, and some people said there was about a hundred um, and I've seen some gatherings that looks like maybe there were a couple thousand and they said well there was a hundred thousand so I don't know it seems like mankind sometimes has a hard time with, with, uh, with, with their, their figures but here it says let's just forget about counting John says I looked at it I'll just tell you this I'll tell you this there was a multitude there that I didn't even bother trying to count no man could number it the sea of individuals that was gathered there, of all nations and kindred and people and tongues. You see that there? You see it? Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, all of them, all of them represented, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried out with a loud voice. Of course it was a loud voice, a unified voice of a a sea of people you couldn't even number. Cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne, about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God saying, um, Amen, blessing, glory, Wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, how could that be forever and ever? The wages of sin is death. We're separated from God forever and ever. But here is an innumerable sea of people, humanly speaking, standing before the Lamb of God, having access to God Himself. Say, we worship you and give you honor forever. For eternity. There's a cause without end. That was the cause that Jesus was primarily about right there. Let's look at three things this morning. After we have a word of prayer. that will help us think about this a little further. Lord, I pray that you'd help us during this time in the few minutes that we have here just to Either be encouraged in what our focus is already, biblically, or to refocus, or to be led to gain a new focus, Lord. And I pray that you do that through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the focus of Jesus Christ. A look at his focus.
1: First of all, Jesus
0: came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to save that which is lost. He didn't just come to make a better life for them here on earth even though Christianity will will do that in many ways. But Jesus' provision wasn't to promise everybody, look, if you accept me as your personal Savior, you're going to have a life that's totally fair. You're going to have a life that's without problems, that's without obstacles, and and everything in your life will always uh, be full of justice and equity here on earth. Did he ever promise that? No. He said, on this earth, you're going to have tribulations. I'm going to give you a peace that rises above those things, is what he said. And so when we try to to, uh, promise people, okay, from now on, we're going to treat you fairly all the time, we're trying to promise them something that's probably never going to happen in a fallen world. And we can't promise.
1: But when we go to them and we say, you know,
0: Jesus Christ, you can have something that can never be taken away from you for eternity. You can have abundance of joy Forever. And you can be in a place one day where there's not going to be any of these problems again, forever. No comparison is what you have to offer. No comparison. And so he came to seek and to say that which is lost. And in John chapter 10, if you want to turn there, John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, John 10, 9 through 11. Jesus said, I am the door. John 10. I am the door. By me, What's the next phrase? John 10, 9-11. I am the door by me, if any man, if any person. Remember, before the throne, of all people groups, every kindred, tribe, and nation, if any man. This This is the epitome of equal opportunity right here, my friends. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Now the thief, on the other hand, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you see stealing and killing and destruction in the name of so-called Christianity, you can make up your mind that that's something of the thief, not of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, "I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly." And I do believe there's a certain—just a—I just, mean, it's almost like in comparison, it's like a sliver off a sliver off a sliver. Okay, there's a sliver off a sliver off a sliver of application to to our our, our life right now in comparison. Yes, I do feel like I have a great abundant life here on earth because of my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is not ultimately what that's referring to. Our abundant life is our eternal life. It's our eternal life. And that's the life that's being promised here. I come that they might have life, that they might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. And so when we uh, come to the good shepherd and we, we get what he has to offer, then we understand what true love is. And true love, true love gives. True love does give. Secondly, he came to seek and save that which is lost. He also always sought to do the will of his father. Right? He always sought to do the will of his father. To the extent that the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All the time. All the time. Let's go back a few chapters, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 38. We're looking at Jesus' focus. And Jesus sought to always do the will of his Father. Here in John 6, 38, it says, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, what was the will of him? That sent him. Well, it tells us, and this is the Father's will, which he has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What was the will of the Father for Jesus Christ? What was Jesus' uh, uh, um, focus in regards to the will of the Father? It was an eternal focus to bring men and women, anyone, anyone of any people group, anyone, to salvation by grace through faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the will of the Father. That was the Father's mission for Jesus Christ. And thirdly, his focus was to set his face like a flint towards the cross. To set his face like a flint towards the cross. and That was prophesied in Isaiah 50, um, verse 7. I have set my face like a flint. And then it came to reality, as we have recorded in the book of Luke, uh, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 51. Go there, Luke 9, 51, please. Luke 9, 51. Luke 9, 51, it says, And it came to pass... When the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to what? Jerusalem. What was going to happen there? Well, that was where he was going to say, it is finished. Right? The work for mankind. The work to be our substitutionary atonement was going to be done. And so he set his face really not just to Jerusalem. But he set his face like a flint with full purposefulness, with full commitment. He set his face towards the cross, towards the cross. What did Jesus really come to accomplish? Did he come to accomplish just us having a better life here on earth? I mean, the resurrection doesn't really matter as long as we love Jesus and we're living and showing others his love here on earth, so it can impact our culture. That is a false statement. That is a false statement. Because without the resurrection, his death would have ultimately been powerless. The resurrection put the the glorious uh, stamp of legitimacy on his death as he conquered sin, uh, death, and hell uh, through it. In Luke 4, verse 18, you know this verse. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me, Jesus said, to preach the gospel to the poor. You know what the best thing that you can offer a poor person is? Well, it's like the disciples said, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I offer thee. And it's better than that. And Jesus offered to the poor to give them the gospel. You know, why didn't Jesus make every person just as equally uh, economically successful while he was on earth? Didn't he care about them? It says then, uh, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Why didn't Jesus fix everybody's situation who was on, in pain and brokenhearted on earth while he was here? Well, he actually did. <laughs> But it wasn't going to be for that moment. It was going to be for eternity. Right? He didn't just meet the need of the people right then during that little uh, uh, fashion of time, hoping to make a, a better future for their families. He said, I'm going to provide something for you in the form of the gospel that's going to meet your need forever. If you're poor, it's going to meet your need forever. If you're brokenhearted, it's going to meet your need forever. It says, he has sent me to heal the broken heart, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Now, did Jesus heal every blind person when he was on earth? I don't think there's any way you can get that out of scripture. Did he heal some blind people physically? Yes, he did. He showed that he could do that. And it was like a sampling of his power. It was like a figurative. It was like an illustration. I can raise Lazarus from the dead, even though he didn't raise everybody from the dead that died during his time. I can raise Lazarus from the dead to show you that I am the resurrection and the life. That's why I'm doing that right there. I'm not going to do what you would want me to do, just raise everybody back to life again, because what's going to happen to them? They're just going to die again. You know Lazarus isn't alive anymore today? Lazarus died again. So why raise him to begin with? To show that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. Forever. Forever. And so, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And should we help people here on earth as much as we can? Yes, but always to the point, always with the purpose of as I help you, let me really help you. As I feed you, let me really feed you.
1: Let me give you this meal,
0: but let me give you the bread of life. Let me give you the water from which you will never thirst again. That's ultimately what our cause is. And so a look at his focus, secondly a look at his fame. And look at his fame. Was Jesus popular while he was on earth? I mean you say Jesus was popular when he was on earth. Okay, two people. I mean you say he wasn't popular when he was on earth. All right. Well, you're both right. Okay, let me show you a couple of passages of scripture. While working to help people temporarily, While working to help people temporarily, his fame boomed. Okay? He would have been voted for president. (laughs) His fame boomed when it seemed like he was helping people for the moment. When doing the work to heal people eternally, his fame bottomed out. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, Luke five twelve. it says, And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought bes- him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he poured forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, if thou uh, be-, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he changed, uh, he charged him to tell no man. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus, a number of times, would say, you know, okay, I, I helped you right there, and I think you understand what, what this is all about, what I'm really trying to help you with, but don't, don't tell people about it. Why would he do that? Why would he tell this guy not to tell people about it? Now, the guy, I think he, he, you know, he was really excited, so you know how it is. I mean, if you're excited about something, you only tell one person, and, you know, just don't tell anybody else, and, you know, you know how it is, and the word gets around. And evidently that happened here. But why did Jesus tell? Because Jesus didn't want this thing, to, to this movement, to merely be about him helping people for the moment. You see, and uh, so immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priests, uh, and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. Verse fifteen. But. So much the more went there a fame fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear, and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Okay? Whoa, you helped that guy? (laughs) We wanted some of that. All right? Uh, You got something to help me right now? Yeah. We'll come and hear what you got to say. If you're going to give me something, I'll hear what you got to say. All right, and his fame increased because you know, they, 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 Jesus could help people. And it's not that the, the, the healing was, was, was wrong, but it was for a greater purpose that he had this in mind. Where a, a lot of people, it was proven ultimately, were just there to get what they could at the moment. What did Jesus do? All these people came. All, right? all these people came and Jesus was, was at the height of his fame. Verse 16. What does it say at the beginning of that verse? And he withdrew himself. And, you know, his, 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 his disciples must have been thinking, his disciples, what are you doing? <laughs> Here it is, man. Look at the following you're getting. We can change the world right now. We can change the world, Jesus. You're getting everybody on board. We're rolling now. We got this cause going. What does he do? He withdraws himself to prayer. He withdraws himself to prayer. Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you need prayer right then? Jesus was on such a bigger scale than anybody else was. I mean, you know, feeding the 5,000, great. Great. Gave him bread for a day. Given everybody the bread of life to sustain them for eternity, that's <laughs> eclipsed eclipse any 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 social program here on earth. Just eclipsed it, not to be compared. And then in Mark fourteen fifty, as he went to the cross to provide for people eternally, eternally it says they all forsook him and fled. Now think about that, think about that. I'll be there for my fish sandwich, but you know, you're gonna start talking about all this spiritual stuff and eternity and heaven and all that, I'm out. I'm gonna go find another fish sandwich somewhere, right? Thirdly, let's look at his followers as we conclude this morning. His followers. You say, how does this relate to me? Well, Jesus had some followers that ultimately did stick with him. And through which he did turn the world upside down, the Bible says, with the gospel. And it's in the same vein that we look to follow him today. You see? And so I just want to talk to you about these guys. Because these guys were all super Christians. And you can see why Jesus chose them. I mean, because you know they were like the cream of the crop, and just to look at them, you'd say that is one right there that's going to turn the world upside down for Jesus. Because just look how, how how smart they are, how they carry the Bible, you know, and and to just have everything going on there. I mean, that is yeah. I can see why they I can see why they chose why he chose uh, uh, Peter. I can see why he chose Peter because was, that's a sharp guy right there. <laughs> uh, Peter was a big mouth aggressor. Okay. And then he turned into a guilt-ridden denier. Now, you may be somebody here today that is just prone to speak out. All right? You're just prone to speak out. And uh, I just have a propensity to speak my mind, and it gets me in trouble sometimes. Well, that was Peter. All right? You've seen it in the Bible, right? It got him in trouble. Impetuous with his mouth. Okay? He he just spoke out. And it's like, man, here's a cause. This needs to be done. I don't know. Let's do it. Speak out about it. Go to extremes, maybe sometimes, and then he became a guilt-ridden denier. And maybe you feel like that too. You know, i would never measure up. Look, i would blown it so bad. You know, I said I was going to do these things, and I failed. I, I broke relationships with somebody, and it's a guilt-ridden denier. That was Peter, and it was Andrew. Andrew was the behind-the-scenes servant, the, the steady recruiter. Brought Peter to Christ who ultimately was used of Christ to bring thousands uh, to, to, to Christ. But just Andrew, just the behind-the-scenes servant, the steady recruiter, brought the boy with the, fi- the, the, the bread and the fish. Uh, another time it, it says that uh, he brought many of the Greeks uh, t- uh, together with Peter to, to, to hear Jesus. So there's Andrew. Maybe you're more like Andrew. He's kind of behind the scenes, kind of low-key, you know, doing what you can here and there. Then there's James. He's the, uh, one of the, the sons of what? Thunder. Son of Thunder, right? The bombastic go-getter. OK? And you've been around those personalities before, kind of bigger than life, right? Hey, there's a job that needs to be done. Let's get it done, right? Let's roll up our sleeves, and whatever needs to happen, let's make it happen here. Hey, Jesus, those people are messing with you? Call down some lightning and just zap them. That's what I would do. All these people in America right now that don't seem to get it are all messed up in their head. You know, Lord, just take them out of the picture. Just get them. So we can move on and be America. Right? And then Thomas. Thomas was the believe it when I see it guy. Believe it when I see it. (laughs) And uh, I've been around some of you that are a lot like Thomas, you know. and uh, I tend to be that way. I was one, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I just didn't want to be like, you know, I'm a pastor's kid, so I was yeah, I guess I'm just a Christian. I wanted, I wanted to see it for myself. I wanted to see, you know, how I could put my heart into being a Christian. I didn't just want to believe it just because people were saying it. I wanted to believe it because it was true. Does that make sense? That seemed to be Thomas as well, and it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. But you had this, this, this hodgepodge of different individuals from different walks of life. And you can identify. If you go through the whole list, you'd be able to identify one of those guys. I think, I think Jesus chose all different personalities, all different makeup of people from different walks of life. So that all of you, you know, you could identify with one of those people. You can say, I kind of see myself in that one there. They're all so different. Different walks of life. You know, Jesus did little pertaining to their socioeconomic situation. But he transformed their earthly perspective and gave them an eternal mission. And you get somebody who feels like life has been against them. And feels like nothing's been going for them. Feels like they haven't been treated fairly feels like they've been a victim of some sort, and you give them a cause in the Lord Jesus Christ here, a transformational cause to them, and one that they can use to transform others for for eternity, you have given them something far above anything that this earth could ever offer. Judas was the only one that wasn't kept. Jesus said, while I was on... I uh, was with them in the world. I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. And the reason why Judas was lost is because he denied Jesus in his heart. He denied Jesus in his heart. See, I think Peter, even though he denied Jesus at that moment, I think his heart was, he wept bitterly after that. His heart was, his heart was, he, 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 was, he was for Jesus. You about that. Before. In your heart, I mean, your heart, you, you, you want to live for the Lord, but then you fail at times. And that's a good thing to do. We, we bitterly get it taken care of and move on in victory, like Peter did. Right? Be willing to be a product of Jesus' transformational work, be the Jesus led version be the Jesus-led version of you. Jesus made all these guys different. He didn't try to alter their personalities. He altered their vision. (laughs) He altered their worldview. He took truth that set them free of themselves, and then as they followed Jesus and were around Jesus and ultimately went on to live for Jesus, they were the Jesus-led version of themselves, the way that God made. So what is your purpose in life? Can you save the world? (laughs) Can you transform transform your your society? Can you bring equity on earth about You know what our job is? Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. As you let him work through you, he will use you in other people's lives for what they really need, for what they ultimately need, for the true need that is common to all mankind. It doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what your skin color is, it doesn't matter uh, who your parents were, it doesn't matter what language you speak, none of that. All of us have ultimately the same need, the same need. Let Jesus use you as his representative to give the message of eternal victory and hope. The Bible says we are most miserable if in this life we only have hope in Christ. Right? That's verse 1 Corinthians 15, 19. As, as a so-called Christian, if you only have hope in Christ as it pertains to this life, that's going to make you a miserable individual. You're going to get caught up in all these issues of the moment. You're going to get overwhelmed by them. You're going to get discouraged by them. You're going to get, uh, uh, um, you think it's going to be futile. If you only have hope in Christ as it pertains to this world, then you are going to be a miserable Christian. But if you have the resurrection perspective, that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, then that's where the victory is. We are more than victorious in that. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself without a change of heart, and you cannot have a true change of heart without having Jesus Christ in your life. We have worked hard in America to push God out. We need Jesus now more than ever. And you are his representative. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us now with this moment of decision. Lord, I pray just for this very simple invitation as you have worked in hearts this morning, that we will respond not before men, but before you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. As we sing here in a moment, we're going to be dismissed, but help us, Lord, to respond before that. I feel like you're leading me to do this, Lord. So with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, this isn't for me. This is just maybe a time for you to, to put some, some physical action and a heart's decision together. At this moment, just to, to either continue in the focus you have or to renew your focus or to get a new focus altogether. So, how I many, just in response to the truth that we've seen here this morning, would say, I simply, in these days going forward, I want to be the Jesus led version of me? I me mean, would say,